think. So we're observing Pentecost with the events of the past week in mind. Um, George Floyd murdered by police in Minneapolis. Another unarmed black man gasping for air with a white knee on his neck. Um, this week, we had a video of a white woman calling police in Central Park to report a black man threatening her, though he simply asked her to leash her dog, according to park rules during the pandemic especially. This week in Ypsilanti, we had a video of Shatana grady Ells punched multiple times in the head by a white officer when she tried to get to her daughter's home through a police perimeter. And then like what happened last week without the cell cameras rolling. Um, and this very much as Carla alluded to in her announcements, uh, Pentecost is speaking directly to this reality and our response to it. So I'm, I'm gonna read the, um, read the story. Avery did a great job by the way and pronouncing all those hard to pronounce locations. So thank you, Avery. Um, I'm reading from the David Bentley Hart translations, very close to the original Greek. And it begins like this. And when the day arrived that completed the 50 after Passover, that's what Pentecost means. It's the 50th day after uh, Passover. They were all gathered together in one place. So we have to remember that tensions were still very high 50 days after this particular Passover. Uh, Jerusalem's population during these major feasts swells uh, like tenfold from like 100,000 to a million. Um, the Feast of Shavuot, uh, in Hebrew that just means 50th, same as Pentecost in Greek. Um, the Feast of Shavuot pre precedes the Christian Pentecost. <laughs> um, and that feast celebrates the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai after the uh, people were delivered from bondage in Egypt. So this the, the Shavuot is the most mystical of the three major feasts of Israel. And we have the account in uh, Exodus 19. Remember, Moses is called to Mount Sinai, which has become a thin spot, has become a mystical meeting ground. Um, Robert Alter, my favorite translator of the Hebrew Bible says, the Sinai encounter is imagined as the decisive moment in history when the celestial and the terrestrial realms are brought into engagement. And as God comes down on the mountain, every sort of natural fireworks is let loose. So this is, this is the background to um, Pentecost at Sinai. There's a violent wind that actually sounds like a sustained ram's horn that gets louder and louder. There's lightning and smoke. In other words, there's fire. And then there's the cloud of divine presence. And the point of it all, what's the point of it all? Well, it's a miracle of communication. Uh, the text says Moses would speak, and we know that he wasn't a natural speaker. He had trouble speaking. Moses would speak, and God would answer him with a voice. And so this is like the greatest cultural divide in scripture is between the human and the divine, such that any communication between them is miraculous. And this is the miracle that is replicated in Acts chapter two. Um, just hear the, hear the similarities. And suddenly there came a noise like a turbulent wind born out of the sky, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So, I mean, violent wind outside is one thing, Inside, it's an entirely different experience. And there appeared before them tongues of fire, which parted and came to rest upon each of them. So 
you picture like a suspended cloud of fire inside the house, hovering over them, and then portions of that fire separate to rest over each one. And again, to what end? Well, it's another miracle of communication. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them to utter. So the context of this is that pilgrims from all over the empire are in Jerusalem. Um, their particular cultural identities are carefully noted by Luke, the author of uh, the book of Acts, because those particular cultural identities matter to God. So it's Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya abutting Cyrene. There's uh, many African um, nations here. These pilgrims speak a vast array of different languages that identify them as not from around here. So they're, they're pilgrims from the outlying parts of the empire. The 120 who are gathered in the upper room for Pentecost, um, they have a shared language. So this makes them one group. They're bonded by a language that reflects and shapes their culture. I mean, language shapes our experience of the world. Language shapes the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we dream. You can only have certain thoughts in certain languages. So their language creates an in-group and us in relation to the others who are them. So the pilgrims, the visitors, the outsiders to Jerusalem hear the 120 gathered in the upper room, miraculously speaking their own varied languages. And they say, how is it that each of us hears our own language, the languages in which we were raised? I mean, when you're not from around here, and you hear someone speaking your language, it really matters. Um, I'm, I might have told this story before, of, I think it was last summer. Uh, ben Gateau had um, an allergic response to something he ingested, a supplement or something, and he landed in the hospital. Ben's one of our healthcare workers here, and he's a nurse. He was in Los Angeles as a travel nurse uh, uh, serving COVID patients, um, and now he's back at the university hospital as a nurse, and he's married to Steve, who's a, a, a deeply uh, spiritual Jewish man, his husband. And I went to visit Ben, and Ben is Pentecostal, and I, I have a Pentecostal side, and so I was going to pray with Ben, and I think I mentioned, hey, Steve, I'm, I, might, I might need to pray in tongues while I'm praying for Ben. And then Steve was very curious. He's like, tongues, what's that? And, and I'm like, Ben didn't tell you? <laughs> and so I'm mansplaining tongues to, to, um, to Steve and what, what it's about, blah, blah, blah. A, a nurse, Ben's nurse, walks into the room and she knows Ben and we strike up a conversation and it turns out she's from Southern India. And it also turns out she loves Ben. And I, I learned that like among the many of the nurses at University Hospital, Ben's kind of a celebrity. He's well-respected and loved, which I love to hear. And um, when I learned that she was from Southern um, India, I started singing a song in Malayalam that I knew because, which is the language of Southern India, Kerala, because I had a um, my first, what you would call, mentor when I was a brand new Jesus freak was Joseph Arthungal from Kerala in 
married student housing, he took me under his wing and he taught me this song. I start singing this song. This is like from 30 years ago. Um, she gets tears in her eyes because she's hearing her native language for the first time in that, in that setting. And, it, and that's what told me how meaningful that is. Steve thought it was like miraculous. He didn't know I, I learned the song. And I'm like, no, no, Steve, this is, this is not like the real deal happening. This is like a miracle of memory for my 68-year-old brain happening. So that, this is the response of the pilgrims when they hear their own languages being spoken by those who didn't grow up where they grew up. So this is not one group imitating the language of another group. This is not the Beatles ripping off African-American blues and making money you know, from it. This is one group receiving into the center of their being, into their holy of holies, the divine presence. And in that mystical reception and receiving, they're making room, the spirit is making room for the languages, which means the cultures of the others than themselves. Remember, these were followers of Jesus who said over and over to them, those who have ears, let them hear. So the miraculous gift of speaking an unknown language is the miracle of empathy, of one group receiving another as though they were family. So what does this have to do with Minneapolis, Central Park, and Ypsilanti? Well, just to state the obvious, why after all these years is white supremacy so powerful, so prevalent still, on the rise? Why is one who trucks in white supremacy occupying the Oval Office, threatening violence against those who protest George Floyd's murder? Why? Why, why is police violence aimed so disproportionately at black and brown bodies? I mean, Benjamin Franklin, for heaven's sake, let alone Malcolm X or James Baldwin said, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who aren't. That's empathy. The miracle of Pentecost is a disruptive miracle, just as the mystical meeting at Sinai, it was disruptive. I mean, we've tamed it in our retellings, in our songs, but it was disruptive. I mean, all the signs, the, the natural signs around it were disruption signs, wind, fire, shaking. To undergo the miracle of Pentecost is to have our lives disrupted by the miracle of empathy. So yes, the spirit is a comforter, uh, but to bring that comfort to everyone, the spirit must disrupt the false comfort of complacency of not caring if it doesn't affect us. So for many of us, Pentecost is about making space in our hearts for more disturbance, for more anger, not just for peace and joy and woos. So beyond the frustrations of life that affect us personally, but, but what's the secret power of Pentecost? It's not the browbeating of white liberal guilt that only seems to produce, in the religious context, it produces denominational position papers that are, that are ignored in the parishes. It's like an elephant giving birth to a pea. 
the secret power of Pentecost is divinely infused and humanly received, embraced empathy. So the taproot of human action is feeling more than analysis and argument. A parent hears the cry of an infant at nighttime. The taproot of feeling is activated and they, be, they move, they do whatever they need to do to address it. They wake up, they get out of bed, they feed the infant. In fact, parents practically need a support group not to do so when it's time for the baby to learn to sleep through the night for more than you know, one hour at a time. So empathy moves us in ways that effort and guilt and analysis never can. There's a flow and an ease of action when the taproot of empathy is watered. So empathy is fundamentally an act of hearing, of receiving another. So to be Pentecostal in the deepest sense is to be longing for, is to be cognizant of, it's to be responsive to the divine spirit watering our empathy taproot in our holy of holies where the divine presence and the burning cherubim reside. The divinely energized taproot of empathy is so much more powerful than liberal guilt with its paper only impotent progressivism. So Pentecost didn't happen in a vacuum. The 120 were gathered to pray on the feast of Shavuot, which was the receiving of the law of words from God on Sinai. They all understood when they were gathered in that room, it was a mystical moment, Shavuot. They were primed to receive a divine initiative. And what they received? Multiple languages of other cultures that they didn't grow up with. Another word for receiving is listening. They had been primed by Jesus who said over and over, those who have ears, let them hear. Avery, after the reading from Acts 2, said, let those who have ears, let them hear. So I'm finishing up in case you're wondering. Emily and Carla um, told us about our growing connection to the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, um, TFAM, the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries. And what moves me about TFAM is that it's led by people of color, many of whom are also gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, and Pentecostal. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I mean, that's truly a, a beautiful thing. And what's so beautiful about TFAM is the fellowship, to the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, what they mean by inclusion is white men are also allowed. So, this affords us, this connection, I think, some amazing opportunities to listen, to hear, and to receive. Um, so there are three important events um, coming up. One is June 3rd, Wednesday. Carla put me onto this. It's posted in the Ann Arbor Social Club. I'll, I'll put it out in the, in the daily prayer email if you're getting that. June 3rd, Wednesday, 8 p.m. We'll, we'll be doing this instead of Compline. Um, it's an, an online event called uh, Beyond the Gatekeepers. It's African-American women who are in law, law enforcement, they're theologians, they're preachers, they're judges, and they're offering a womanist approach to ending police violence. And it includes Bishop Yvette Flunders, the founder of the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries. 
So I encourage you to tune in and listen to that and watch it. Uh, June 20th, there's going to be a virtual protest led by William Barber. William Barber is also a, a, a clergy person in uh, the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, and you would know him as the founder of the Poor People's Campaign. He's leading a virtual protest on uh, June 20th. Um, I think sometime this summer, Emily's been talking with our the new bishop from the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries that relates to us. His name is Bishop Daryl Goodwin, and he'll be joining us, we hope, uh, to speak at a Sunday service. So let this be a summer for us of deep listening, of receiving divine initiative, um, to learn, to be moved by the Spirit who met Moses on Mount Sinai in wind, fire, words, and voice, and came in wind, fire, words, and voice to the followers of Jesus in the upper room. So instead of a meditation, I want to do a call and response. Um, so I think uh, hopefully up on the screen, you might see the call and response. And it uh, probably came from an, uh, in the program that uh, Caroline sends out every week. And if um, Cassie will uh, unmute herself, um, I'll have Cassie do the response and I'll do the call. And... Um, you can uh, also at home do the response if you like to. And we kind of have to hear this through the power of imagination, um, the call and response. So it's just a way of giving voice to things that we need to give voice to at a time like this. So I'll begin. We groan at the rise of white supremacy at the highest levels in our land. Those who have ears, let them hear. God have mercy. Today, especially, we feel powerless in the face of the violence against black and brown bodies. Those who have ears, let them hear. Wind of God, have mercy. We confess our need for a Pentecost miracle. Those who have ears, let them hear. Fire of God, have mercy. Oh God, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Those who have ears, let them hear. Spirit of God, have mercy. Blow like a turbulent wind within the walls of our homes and our hearts and our courtrooms and our city halls and our police stations and our schools and our centers of faith and our citadels of corporate power and financial power and political power. Those who have ears, let them hear. Wind of God, have mercy. Send tongues of fire, purifying fire the fire of Sinai, the fire of the cherubim among the burning ones in the Holy of Holies, the fire of the upper room, the fire of Azusa Street. Those who have ears, let them hear. Fire of God, have mercy. Remember your words, O Lord. When the oppressed suffer violence and the poor cry out in misery, I will arise, says the Lord, and give them what they long for. Those who have ears, let them hear. Arise, O God, and bring us with you. God have mercy. Amen.